Hello, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship with Pastor John Gilbert. I like reading certain newspapers. I like to have a look at who's saying what. I know Bob likes the Daily Mail. I like to have a little look at the Daily Mail. Anyway, what I've noticed is they've been raising money. They've got this fund for the Ukrainian uh, people and um, they've raised about £5 million from donations. And, you know, it's been on my heart because I've seen the, um, the suffering. I've seen children and parents and carers all displaced you know giving up their cars giving up their homes they're just having to run I don't know how you feel but I don't want to be in that situation and if I was in that situation I want somebody to help me and so I see like two million people have managed to get out of Ukraine by the skin of their teeth. And, and then I heard a story in uh, Germany, um, it's like about 50, 60 families have said, oh, if, if there's a family, a, a Ukrainian family, they can come and live at our home. And that amazed me. Because I've been asking myself this question, where is God in this war? Right? It's just, I've been thinking about it. And I've seen people doing remarkable things. I've seen a, a, a man with an old lady, she's about 90, in a, in a shopping trolley, and he's been pushing her because she can't walk. And when I saw that picture, I thought, well, there, there you go. There is somebody not thinking of themselves. They're thinking of this little old lady. Do you see what I mean? And those, those German people, they're not thinking of themselves, they're thinking of these other people. They're willing to open their home. And I think, well, God's there. God, you see God in the small things. He doesn't blow his own trumpet, say, I'm here, I'll help everybody. He doesn't do that, right? He does things quietly, secretly. You've got to open your eyes to see where he is. Do you understand me? So I've been thinking about it, and I haven't talked to Michael about this yet, but I will do. I thought, I want to give some money. I want to make a donation. But I'm sad to say, Bob, I don't want to give it to the Daily Mail. Because they'll take their commission before they send my donation to the people in the Ukraine or the people that are running away from the Russians. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I was thinking about it, and it dawned on me that there's this bloke who we used to know, Dominic knows him, I used to know him, don't really know him anymore, but I text him. His name's Andrew Worsop, Andrew Arthur Worsop. Carol knows who he is, Jackie knows who he is, Mayette knows who he is, but not everybody, Wally might know. Anyway, guess where he lives? He lives in Romania, but he lives on the Ukraine border. And he's looking out and he's seeing all these Ukrainians coming past where he lives. I texted him yesterday and he told me when this started happening, he's, he's a missionary. He trains missionaries. I can believe it. He used to come to this church when it first started. Anyway, I don't want to rob all our time, but I'll, I'll get back to this. I want to give this man some money. I don't want to give it to the Daily Mail, I want to send it to him. But what he's done, he's sent me the details of the people that he works for. Right? Curious, isn't it, Dom? And he might basically saying, send it to them. But they could send the money elsewhere. I want to send it to Andrew. So I need to talk to Michael. Now, married to a Romanian. Married to a Romanian. They live in. And I, I talked to Paul yesterday, 
I said, I was telling Paul about it on the phone. He told his dad. His dad's written a cheque because his dad wants to give money. But what about you lot? Do you want to give a bit of money? Because I do. And you, I don't have to know what you give. And you don't have to know what I give. We don't have to know what uh, Paul's dad's given. But let's try and do something. Let's try and ease somebody's pain and suffering and give them something that will help them. You know what I mean? You know, food prices are going through the roof. Petrol and diesel's going through the roof. And they have get, they've given up their homes to save their lives. So I'm going to talk to Michael and Jackie and see whether we could have, forget having a church collection, we just have a, a Ukrainian relief collection. What do you think, Jackie? There you go. Jack, there's a nod from her. Is there a nod from everybody else? Yeah. Paul? Unless you hire a van, I'm serious, unless we hire a van and filled it up and drove it there all the way to Andrew's house, I'm sorry, that's the only way you're going to get it there. And I'm going to preach the sermon, but one more hand. We need to take our own minibus. I'm serious. No, they, they want money. Yeah, they want money. Yeah. They want money. You know, this is bad, right? But there's some people, they travelled 1,500 miles to get to Calais, to come here, and then they got turned away because of the bureaucracy. They need money to go backwards and forwards, especially if they're planning to come to this country. You know, they need money to go back again. I'm being a bit cynical there. Let's just pray. Lord, we do think of the people in Ukraine that are in a terrible, terrible situation. And our heart goes out to them and the people that are getting displaced. We just pray that you could help us be wise about letting our light shine and how to deal with um, helping people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We do ask your blessing on the Bible, on the Word of God this morning. May it speak to our hearts.
In Jesus' name, amen. So please, open your Bible to Luke 19. Okay. Now, did you know, in case you didn't know already, did you know Jesus Christ is coming back here? Yes. You know that, don't you? Why do you know that? Because the Bible tells you so, right? So, here we go. I'm going to go to a parable which is a bit of Bible reading to do, and we're limited on time as well, which is a shame. So, Luke 19, and I'll go to verse 12. Here's the parable of the returning king. And I'm going to speak quickly, fast. I'm not going to hang about because time's going. So, it says in verse 11, the parable of the meanness, right, or the returning of the king. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So it was that when he did return, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him and he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your minas has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then others came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want, to, did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, that this parable is repeated elsewhere and it's slightly different. It is slightly different. Anyway, the point is, the king, the nobleman, came, set up a kingdom, gave a responsibility to the people that were part of that kingdom and asked them to do business. And then he went away again. And guess what? He came back. It's a parable. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, set up a kingdom, the Christian church, and he went away again for a time. And he's coming back, isn't he? And when he comes back, he's going to check out what we've been up to, what we've been trading with, our faith. Have we been investing it? It's interesting, isn't it? It says in that story, that he was a nobleman. He became a king. But this king, as he was, they didn't want to serve him. 
I find that hard to believe. That even people in the church, I know that the Jews didn't want to serve him, but even people in the church, do they not want to serve him? People reject him. But he came back. And those that reject him, those that don't do what he's asking, those that do not invest their meanness, he's going to have a chat with them. And he's going to take what they had, what he gave them in the first place, and give it to someone else. And he's going to have this person, it says it there, going to have them slayed. It's a parable. But some people will go to hell. You know that, don't you? You don't want that, do you? No, no not me. Anyway, it's a parable. And it's a parable to prepare the disciples for what is ahead. And it is ahead. Now, there are certain things ahead that we need to consider. There is a certain thing ahead that Jesus had to consider while he was here on this earth. He was moving towards something, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. He was here, wasn't he? As a baby, grown up, become a young boy, grows up, becomes a young man, was a carpenter, became a ministry man, a preacher of the gospel, and he went about doing good. And that's what we're going to focus on, where he ended up. Why are we doing this? Because Easter is coming. And I like to focus on Easter when we draw near to Easter. And so what Jesus was doing, as he drew near to the Passover, he was going to be moving up to Jerusalem. And what was going to await him at Jerusalem? These are the sort of things I want to consider this morning. And you remember, you've heard this phrase before, whether it was in the old Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church, you've heard this phrase called Palm Sunday. You heard of that? That's what I'm talking about. What happened on that day? It was a triumphant entry into the city, wasn't there? Do you remember that? That was going to happen, and after that would be the betrayal. And the trial, the mock trial of Jesus Christ. Then there would be the cross. Remember? These are the things that happened at Easter. And then there would be the resurrection Sunday. And we like that, don't we? Because he is not dead. He is alive. And we get excited. The Easter message, it's like a bit of a roller coaster, you know, the betrayal and, you know, this. Anyway, so this morning, and we've got half an hour left, we're going to look at Jesus ascending up to Jerusalem because of a certain phrase. The phrase is, it was time. It's half past, the, half past 12. It's time for the sermon. If I wasn't doing the sermon, it would be time for lunch. Yeah? Everything has its appropriate time. It's a time for a cup of tea. It's a time for breakfast. Isn't there? It's a time to do your work. It's a time to go home and be with your wife, if you've got a wife, or your friend, and have tea together. There's a time for Janet Smith to come through the door and sit down among us, isn't there? There is a time for everything under the sun. Thank you, Brother Paul. I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus. I noticed something about him. He was always on time. Jesus Christ was always, you could set your watch by what Jesus done. Greenwich Mean Time is set by what Jesus done. It's not, but I'm telling you, that's what I know when I study the Bible. 
Everything God does is at the right time. God is not slapdash. God is not a dodgy workman. God is, God is not a cowboy. You had any cowboys do any work at your house? Did they come on time? Let me look from verse 28. It, what does it say here? This same chapter. Listen to this. Verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, as he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite opposite you, where you where as you enter you will find a colt tied, and which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, What are you loosing? Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on it. There we go, we'll stop there. The Lord Jesus. Here he is with these disciples and he's planning ahead. He's working things out as they unfold. He's told them, look, go do this. There's a cult over there. The people that are there are going to ask you this, that and the other. You know, just say the Lord needs it. He told them. Everything was done respectfully at the right time. And he was put under pressure. He was put under pressure by his mum over the water, turning the water into the wine and things like that. And, and he would often use a phrase. And he would say to even his own mum, he said, my time, or my hour, he said, my hour has not yet come. That's a very interesting statement. He was governed by time and space and he didn't want to do something before it's respected time. He said elsewhere, my time has not yet come. Now, the time had arrived. And, and even Daniel had prophesied that the Lord would go to Jerusalem. The Lord, it's, it's in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, 25. Go there. There's a prophecy where the Lord, where Daniel is focusing. Let's have a look. On the Lord's hour. Maybe Dominic will get there before me. It's Matt, Daniel 9.25, I remember. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. Well, I can't preach a great deal on Daniel because I haven't worked it all out. But if you understand, if you read Daniel and you look at all the passages, he speaks about time and time and half a times. He does this. That's what Daniel does. And he is prophesying that the Lord will come to Jerusalem at the right time. You know, when you look back at this passage I just read to you, isn't it amazing that when Jesus spoke to the disciples, he told them, look, go to Jerusalem, go here, and you'll see a colt, a baby donkey, a young donkey, be tied to a fence. Well, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us that he saw that cult earlier on that day. 
You know, did he see it because through a, a vision or something like that? He knew it was there. He told them, when you go there to get it, the owners will say, what, why are you doing this? Why are you losing in this coat? He said, just tell them the Lord needs it. Everything they did, everything he said, they, they did it, and it was as he said, at the right time. Yeah? Everything happened as he said it that day. The cult was there, the disciples found it at the right time, the people reacted and said exactly what he had said. God's, God's great plan, God's great plan of redemption, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, we're going to touch on that. All right? At the right time, Don. At the right time. Okay? God's great plan of redemption, the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, it was right on time. God planned it. It was in God's diary. He had a day. He had an hour. He had a moment when everything would be at the right time. Pontius Pilate would be the governor. Herod would be a ruler there in that... I don't know exactly what he, where he was ruling at, the, at, at that time. But there were certain things in place... The disciples would be his disciples, all at the right time. Judas would betray him at the right time. And someone has said, someone said this, Calvary, which is, when you say Calvary, it summarises the whole event of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You know, well, not the resurrection, what happened when Jesus was crucified? When you say Calvary, that's what it was about. Jesus being condemned and crucified. Okay? Someone said, it was not God's afterthought. They said it was God's forethought. Now, do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? When you... Okay, here, here for example. Steve, I hope you don't mind me using you as an illustration. Steve, recently, he got a car, a very nice car. And he, he was happy to buy a new car, weren't you, mate? And Annie was happy. You know, they went out looking, searching. They bought a car. But Steve did not know that two months later that someone was going to smash into the side of it. You did not know, did you? So... Steve's response was an afterthought. He didn't know it would happen. So everything he did after the accident is an afterthought to do with that car. Jackie and Michael and Jan, where have you just been the last week? You went to Wales. Did you go there haphazardly and just, you came here and said, oh, um, oh, fancy just going up to see the Welsh mountains. What, you want to come with me? Uh, yeah, it sounds like a good idea for the day, you know. You planned it, didn't you? Yeah, uh, maybe you planned it three months ago. Yeah? Long time ago. So what I'm saying, you thought about it all in advance. Three months ago, a long time ago, they planned it. They, they planned with a, a, an organisation what bus you might go on or train you might go on or, or, or something like that. It was forethought. She what? Okay. I, I won't go into that detail. All right? But they went with you, so they managed. Okay. So God planned in advance what would happen at Calvary. It was planned way back, way back. The, the Bible, 
The prophets in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, they prophesied, for example, Psalm 22, which Dominic is going to put up on the screen. But I'm not going to read it all, or any of it, because I'm going to move on. Time is running out. But what I'm saying is, Dominic could find out the year that David wrote that passage of scripture. Do that, Dom, right? You know, it's a, it's a picture of the events of Calvary that were prophesied in the Bible many, many, many years before it actually took place. Do you understand? So, why I'm saying that, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows it all. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And there are there, there is a church that came up with an idea of theology. Now, theology, what does that mean? It means the study of God. There is a particular group of, I don't know whether to call them believers, because what they're saying is off the nut. It's not the right sort of language to use, off the nut. It means they don't know what they're talking about. Because they call it open theology. Do you know what that means? Anything goes. Well, that's nonsense. Anything goes. Open theology. Well, let's think about it. Let's, let's ask questions. What they're saying, God don't know the future. Eh? God doesn't understand what's going to happen tomorrow. That's what they're saying. Anyway, I'll, that's not in my notes. We'll move on. What I'm saying, today, this morning, Jesus had come to this world and he was going to Jerusalem and he was going there for one thing. To die. He knew it. He told the disciples as they were going through their three years together here in Jerusalem or, or in Israel, as they spent time in Galilee, Judea, as they spent, he told them, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And the chief priests and the elders, they will persecute him. They will, they will crucify him. He told them. And guess what? It went straight over their heads. Didn't it, Jackie? They weren't listening. His enemies were listening, but they weren't listening. So, my next heading is this. Jesus ascended to Jerusalem to do what? I'm going to tell you. To fulfill the scriptures. Everything he did was according to the scriptures. Isn't that right, Dominic? I don't want to put you to sleep, my friend. All right? Let's move on and read a little bit more. I read up to verse 35. I don't know if you noticed that. But let's go a little further. Verse 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had been seen, saying, I think Dominic put this up on the theme, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Wonderful. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. If the disciples, he's saying, if the disciples kept quiet, the stones by the side of the roads would have praised God. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you go down to Worthing at the seaside. You know Worthing in Sussex? Lots of stones down there. Could you imagine seeing them praise the Lord? 
That's what Jesus is saying. Even the stones will cry out if my disciples don't sing and praise for me. Anyway, let's move on. Was that passage that you showed from Zechariah 9.9? It was, wasn't it, Dom? Yeah, it was. Zechariah, a prophet of the Lord, Old Testament, minor prophet, 400 years, 400 years before this event, where Jesus ascended into Jerusalem, he wrote a passage in Zechariah 9.9. And it's a bit further down, Dom. There you go, there you go. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a ass upon a colt the foal of an ass when I was a lad as a little boy used to play cowboys and Indians used to love it used to like watching John Wayne on the TV you know go west or what the, um, you know these funny cowboy films you hear you know get off your horse and drink your milk yeah you've heard that sort of thing I don't know you probably we used to watch it Bob right but my dad was a cowboy fan he used to wear the guns and yeah every Saturday down the cinema John Wayne here we go cowboy anyway why am I saying this I remember when they used to get a wild horse, you know, they get the lasso, throw it over there, get it down, and the wild horse, if no one's ever sat on his back, what would he do? Oh, yeah. He'd throw you, he was a buckaroo, wasn't it? The yahoo, buckaroo. <coughs> He'd throw him off. Because he didn't want no one on his back. And can you imagine? The, the foal of a donkey, a young donkey, uh, uh, a colt. Do you think he wants anybody to ride on his back? I don't think, it, Bob's shaking his head, he doesn't. He's not used to it. Until he is trained, until he is disciplined. and You've got to break it to show him who's boss. Well, when Jesus got on that colt, that thing never done a buckaroo and, and threw Jesus off, did he? We don't read it in the passage. We don't read that it's an undisciplined donkey. Hello, donkey. Look at them. Ear Thank you. Anyway, so they've taken my trail of thought, right? But you would expect a young donkey to throw Jesus off its back because no one's ever ridden it before. You understand me? But why didn't he do that? Shall I tell you? Because that donkey, that colt, knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the saviour. He knew it was the creator. That's who, he knew that's God in the flesh on my back and he was going to do his utmost to behave with deep respect do you know that he's going to be a good boy isn't he Bob I better behave myself Jesus Christ is on my back I'm going to do as I told my, my father had a little Russian horse during the war and uh, he needed a bigger horse because he was moving to a bigger farm so he sold the horse this girl as, as to, to ride. Of course, they're also never been ridden. Right, go on, tell me, Bob, what happened? And every now and again, the horse would throw him. Throw him off? Yeah, yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. He had a few bumps on his head. Wally, you put your hand up. What do you want to say? Did it? Oh, look, 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 look. Come on, I've got to move on, people. There's a lot to say. Zechariah wrote a passage. We read it. It was written 400 years.
before the event happened. God was prophesying through the word of God. God was allowing the word of God to be spoken by the prophets. Watch this space. See what's going to happen. The people would welcome Jesus. That was the disciples with joy. Shouts of praise filled the air. They took their clothes off and they put it on the donkey's back. They even put their clothes on the road when Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem. Not many people would do that sort of thing. Only those that would believe in him. And there he is, riding a wild donkey, a broke, unbroken cult, to fulfil the scriptures. Fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The Bible points to Jesus. It doesn't point to anybody else because no one else is as important as Jesus. But in his birth, Micah 5.2 speaks of Bethlehem, doesn't it? We read it every year at Christmas time. Isaiah called Mary the Virgin, the mother of Jesus. All right? Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 53 and verse, verse 3, Dom. Isaiah 53, verse 3. What do we read? Jesus, this is written 800 years or 700 years before Jesus came. This speaks of the rejection of Jesus in Jerusalem. He is despised. He is rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him stricken. Isn't that right, Dom? The Bible points to Jesus. What about his, this is a very unusual word, and you'll only ever hear it in church related to the theology of what Jesus did. And that is his substitutionary death. I never heard that word until a few years ago, eh, Dominic? A very rare word. He was our substitute. That's what it means. We've committed enough sins to go to hell. All of us. It's not what we want to hear. It's not what we like. But Jesus loves us so much that he took our place on the cross. The next verse, Dom, five, go to five and six. But he was wounded for his own sins. He never committed any sins. Did he, Carol? No. He was wounded for... Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Go to the next verse, Dom. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, all of us. What is this? It's the gospel. It's the good news of our salvation. If we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's uh, Romans. Maybe Dominic will get there before me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What we read is the gospel in verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. This is Paul confirming what I'm saying. According to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the... God is showing us everything is done in order. Everything, nothing is fake. We what we hear, what we see, we test it with the Word of God. If it's not in the Bible, if it's not in the Word of God, 
It ain't real. It ain't true. And that's what we do. And that's why we believe in Jesus Christ. Because he was the promised Messiah that was to come. I went to school, I went to John F. Kennedy, and there was a Jewish boy there called John Legree. He was come from a French background. And I went to school for five years. But I, I don't remember learning much over five years. I don't suppose you lot did either. But I was walking down the corridor, going down the stairs, and I heard two boys talking about John Legree, because he was a Jew. And one boy said to another boy, he said, well, that John Legree's a Jew. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's a Jew. And, and guess what he said? They're still waiting for Messiah to come back. Now, I heard that conversation as I was walking down the corridor, going down the stairs. It's still in my head. And I said to myself, hey, John Legree's a Jew. John, the, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. I never heard it before, but it stuck in my head. And I never ever forgot it. It's still there now. Now you could take me to the biology class, to the physics class, to the chemistry class, and you can ask me, John, did you learn anything? I say, not a sausage. Not a sausage. But I remember hearing that Messiah is coming. Alright? We had sausages and baked beans on Saturday. I'll just tell you that for throw that one in. It was very nice. Okay, so anyway. The Lord, our Lord, everything is about him. Our Lord is all he said he was. He is all that he would be. He would be the word of God, the Messiah, the chosen one. He told us. And we, those that heard it, wrote a gospel and said this is what he said. And even... Paul the Apostle never really saw Jesus apart from when he fell off that horse. He wasn't one of the twelve disciples going around with him for three years. No. But he says that it confirmed, they confirmed it with the scriptures. It's all backed up with the word of God. Let me ask you something. You've watched the news on the telly. Yes? And you hear things about this. Oh yeah. Uh, Vladimir Putin, yeah, the Russian president or leader, whatever, he's saying there's a load of fake news regarding this war. It's not a war. It's nothing to do with it. He's brainwashing his people, saying that they're hearing fake news. Have you heard that? So, even, even Trump, a few years ago, when Trump was president of the United States, he was saying there's a load of fake news going. You know that it's a common phrase, isn't it? This gospel is not fake news. We believe it. We've received it. We put our lives on the line in believing that Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. We will die for the gospel, won't you? William Tyndale died at the stake because he translated this gospel into English. Can you, Adam and Eve, it? Would you do that? Would you give your life? Wally Brown told me that the mayor of London is a Muslim. Huh? And the next Prime Minister of the United... Not the United States. The United Kingdom... He could be a Muslim as well. And I'm going to tell you something, and you might not like me for it, but I was talking to Dominic yesterday about it. The Quran is a fake, it's fake religion. It's the truth, and you might not like me for it, but it's the truth. And I have to tell you it's the truth, because what they're believing is a lie. What we're believing is the truth. This is real. Do you want to believe a lie? But many, many... I went over the road, I went for a walk around the shops. 
and I met one of the Muslim blokes that used to be there, and the kids were coming in their droves to listen to this message about Islam and Muhammad. Let me show you something. John chapter 14, Dominic, John 14, let, let's all read it together so that you know. Jesus says, when the comforter has come, he will lead you into all truth. Yeah, there's a good verse, right? It's a good verse. Ha! Ha! Come on, Don. My father's house and many that Later on, later on, it's... Um, when the comforter has come, so John 14, 14, something like that. Go on, go on. Ah, oh, there we go. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Right? Are we there? Everybody there, right? That he may abide in you forever. Okay? Have you heard people say, Jesus is in my heart? When I became a Christian, the Lord came into my heart. Did you not hear something like that? So who came into your heart on that day? Holy Spirit, thank you, Paul. Anybody else going to agree with Paul? Yeah. Carol, yeah. nod on the head. Bob, nod on the head. Mick, nod on the head. Yeah. And you, nod on the head. Now, here, this is true. This is true. But people twist things. And they say, look, Please forgive me if you think I've been offensive. But the, the Muslim, because they're Quran, if you... Well, what happened there? If, if we went to Speaker's Corner, right, and saw this passage and give you another comforter, do you know how the Muslim says that is? Muhammad! Are you having that? Not me. You understand? They say that's Muhammad. He's the other comforter. So they're saying that the Christians are deceived. And that we're believing that it's the Holy Spirit. Paul said the Holy Spirit. I agree with Paul. He's not Muhammad. Muhammad come 600 years later. They got nothing to do with the church. He didn't die on the cross for no one. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because of so many people following a fake religion. I'm telling you the truth, but if you don't like it, tell me afterwards and tell me off. But I'm going to put you straight. And you didn't hear the only thing at all when you wrote the Quran. Yes. Yes. You see, thank you, Mayette. See, another false. It's fake. It's fake. Huh? Isn't in the Quran. How sad is that? Now, I've got, I've got another bit to do, and it's one o'clock, all right? So, Jesus, listen to this. He ascended, last point, to Jerusalem to, to do what? To die for sinners that's what he did to die for us we're all sinners anybody here not a sinner we're all sinners thank you Dom we are but here it says this there is one glory of the sun am I in the right place no I'm not let me go back to Luke's gospel Luke 19, wasn't it, Dom? They're going to start making a noise next door. 1940, there we go. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, this is Jerusalem, and what did he do? Jesus is ascending up to Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept. He cried. That's the only place you're going to see in the Bible that Jesus cried. Oh, he cried when Lazarus. 
So he wept over the city. If you had known, even especially in your, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. That's what the Lord is saying. You know, the love of Jesus brought him to this earth. He was in heaven before he was a baby. Before he was born on earth, he was already there in heaven. It's remarkable. And you might say, oh, John, that blows my fuses. It should because he's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Paul said he's Alpha and Omega, isn't he? Yes. The love of Jesus brought him, not only to this earth, but it brought him to Jerusalem. It brought him to ascend up to Jerusalem. And when that happened, his enemies, he had enemies, his arrival would motivate them, would stir them up, to have him executed, to have him crucified. It's amazing. And when he was crucified, what did he say? How many people do that when someone is crucifying them, when somebody is murdering them? Now, in the Ukraine, we're seeing all these Russians and they're trying to blow hospitals up and kill people and stuff like that. We don't read in the newspaper, oh, these Ukrainian soldiers were praying for the Russian um, army and, and saying, Lord God, have mercy on them. Never read stuff like that. But Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that love? That's ex the love of Jesus brought him here to die for sinners. That's the love of God. That he didn't want them, he don't want people condemned. He died for them so that their eyes would be open and that they would know the love of God. He wept over the city when he looked at it because he knew they did not know that the Lord God had come in the form of a man and that he was coming into the city. They didn't realise the day of their visitation. It's sad. Very sad. He mourned for their coming sorrows because he knew that because they got judged, because they rejected him, in AD 70, some of us know all of this, that the Romans, was it the Romans that came, Dom? The Romans came and they besieged the city, they built embankments, they starved the people, you know, they came in and they annihilated everybody. It was judgment because they rejected the Lord Jesus. Do you know, Josephus, the historian, says that in the streets, they, the streets were red with blood just flowing down the streets, like the river game flows through Emil Hempstead. Incredible. Because they missed their time. Time. They didn't observe. God doesn't want us Christians to be slapdash and not care about time. I've gone over, ten minutes over. Why? Because we were ten minutes late to begin with. If you don't mind me saying. Let me ask you a question as I close. Can I ask a question? What would... What would you do if you missed that time? Do you want to miss him coming back? I don't. Would you want to miss the greatest opportunity that you have in this life to get saved? Would you want to miss that? <laughs> 
I want to end up in a night house, having a heart attack, having a breakdown to, to miss the hour of salvation. The thing is, people do miss it. They miss it because they're distracted. They're distracted by things that rob them of their time with God. The greatest goal of our life is to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and died for us and have our sins forgiven. That's the greatest opportunity, the greatest thing we'll ever know in this life. To miss it, terrible. I'll end it on that note. We need to come to Jesus every day, every hour, and thank him for what he's done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's close. Lord, we do close today. We thank you for this time, Lord, to think about the gospel, to think about what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation. We put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in you and everything that you've done for us. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We meet at Grove Hill Community Center at 11.30 p.m. in Hemel Hempstead. God bless you.